We are now joined by Ryan Hendrickson, starting first class, retired, Green Beret, and all-around great guy. Ryan, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you guys loud. you guys hear me? Yes, we do. All right. Yes. Ryan, thank you for, for taking the time today to talk to us here at the Marine Report. You know, a lot of us speakers have been going 24-7 since uh, even before the beginning of the war, giving updates on what's going on, providing, uh, you know, support for those that are there, and you know, defending their country and all those who, who volunteer to help out in such a large way like you do. You know, we're, we're so fortunate that so many people listen, uh, thousands from, from around the globe, really, on all different topics from nuclear energy, military matters, civilian matters. Etc. So we're so lucky to to have you here. First, how are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing pretty good. I um I came out to uh, Nipro just to kind of take a break, drink a beer, and get a hot shower, and then I'll uh, I'll head back out there probably on Sunday to clear one more field um, that farmers are trying to get access to. It's it's more it's more like a road, but they've um, they've landmined the crap out of these roads, any any avenues of approach. So. We'll clear this road so they can get access to this field that they haven't been able to access for, well, probably the entire war. And then, um, and then, yeah, uh, kind of move on from there. Thank you for sharing all these videos this past week. I know we've talked a lot in the space about those videos because people have a, a lot of questions about not only what the situation you're up to and how much you're helping. But before that, if you don't mind, Ryan, could, could you explain your journey to end up being a Green Beret, you know, where you're from? Uh, you know, I've got a copy of your book here, but other people uh, may, may not know as much about you. So if you wouldn't mind, do you want to just explain, like, your story to the Green Berets? Because I know it was a little bit different than uh, other people's journeys to the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a problem. Um, I, I mean, we don't have five hours to discuss this, so I'll, I'll just kind of get down to the basics of it. But um, basically, grew up in a small logging town in Oregon, 18 years old. My dad told me I had to leave because if I stayed there, I'd be pumping gas, talking about my my senior year homecoming game or whatever it is. Um, so in, ni- in the mid-'90s, Really, I mean, the Army wasn't really looking for anybody. My ASVAB scores were so low, the Air Force just kind of laughed at me, which was great. Um, yeah, the uh, the Marines, God, those, the recruiter was so angry and scary. So he scared me out of the Marines. I was like, man, you guys are really scary. I don't want to be a Marine. And then the, um, yeah, the Navy recruiters, you know, it's just like, Hey, you want to go to exotic ports and meet exotic women? And I was like, yeah. Hey, you want to be a Navy SEAL like Charlie Sheen and a F-14 Tomcat pilot like Tom Cruise? Yeah. It's like, cool, man. Sign here. So that's, so I did four years in Navy, (laughs) got out, uh, for a couple years, then joined the Air Force in, uh, 2003. And did four years in the Air Force and then switched over to the Army, um, in 2007, I guess, and uh, did the 18 X-ray program um, all the way through, uh, you know, basic training, airborne school, and then uh, X-ray course selection, and then through the Q course, got my Green Bray, went to 7 Special Forces Group, and uh, yeah, that's where I spent the the last of my career after uh, jumping around the military a little bit. 
And uh, quite quite a journey it is, but that's all right. Just in, in fear awareness too, Ryan, we're, we're joined by Colonel Spencer, of course, who uh, was uh, initially 11 Charlie Mortarman, for those who don't know, uh, and mm-hmm. then be- became an officer. And uh, eventually is one of those few people in the, in the U.S. Army that uh, that jumped into Iraq for combat, John. And uh, Colonel Spencer, you're saying you had uh, some overlap with Ryan. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, Ryan and I have the same book agent, great guy up in Denver, Colorado, and I'm a huge fan of Ryan, so thanks for joining the space, Ryan. Yeah, I appreciate it. You're talking about uh, Greg Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. Great guy. I mean, gave me my my break. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, you know, that journey to, uh, to become a Green Beret is, wasn't, it's not a short one for anyone, but, but for you, it was a, a bit longer than maybe others, but you, <laughs> you ended up there and, uh, you ended up passionate in landmines and, and mine removal. Could you explain what that, that deployment was like in Afghanistan that, that, um, brought you closer to understanding why these mines are so important to, uh, to get rid of? Yeah. I, um, uh, so as an 18 Charlie, I, I guess, uh, I guess you'd call it a demo expert. I'd, I'd use expert pretty lightly on that, but, um, or a, um, special forces engineer, um, but not the, not the smart engineer, just, you know, engineer type. Um, anyways, 2010, September 11th kicked off mission to clear the Chitu river Valley over there, Ruzgan province, right along the Helmand river. And, um, I became, uh, <laughs> I became very appreciative of the, uh, blast power of IEDs. Um, early morning, September 12th, 2010, when I stepped on one, uh, pulling a Afghan commando, well, correction, Afghan interpreter away from a breach point. And, uh, right inside the breach point was, you know, an IED, of course, why not? Cause, you know, it's Taliban and they're extremely smart and they know our tactics very well. And so I hit that IED, um, you know, uh, partial amputee, um, got medevaced out, uh, same as thousands of guys in, uh, 2010. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure thousands, pretty sure thousands. Um, got medevaced out and then started the rehab process and at Brooks Army Medical Center to actually have my leg reattached. Um, went through <laughs> a very, very, uh, long and pretty, pretty painful, but you know, it's, I mean, maybe it's just cause I'm weak and I don't know, I don't take pain well, but in my opinion, pretty painful rehab, um, rehab from that, and then 2012, March 2012, I redeployed back to Afghanistan. And I figured, you know, uh, go back, kind of put some demons behind me. And I ended up in <laughs> Panjway District, Kandahar Province, which 2012, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody on here, but I'm fairly certain that was the most IED'd area in all of Afghanistan. So I um, cut my teeth in Panjway, 2012, found hundreds. Um, I'm not sure of thousands, but I'm pretty close, um, to that mark of IEDs in the area. Um, plenty of medevacs, plenty of rampside ceremonies, unfortunately. And then I went back Afghanistan, 2016, 17, 19, 20, and 21. And, uh, just, just continued, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, Finding IEDs and uh, being an 18 Charlie. 
Well, that's uh, yeah, a lot of time in Afghanistan, and you know, in terms of the overlap, I know. I think you went and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. I was there in 2021 with uh, regiment, and you were there as a, a civilian, correct, trying to help evacuate some of the people from that country at the end. So actually, yeah. So 2020, I went back as a contractor, and I was I was uh, what they call a jet contractor with um, Khaki Wexford. And then 2021, so 2020, it was all counter IED, counter UAS, stuff like that. And then 2021, it was pretty strictly counter UAS, um, that I was back there for. So I was, I was nerding out on all the, the counter, counter UAS equipment, Ninja, um, drone buster, drone defender. I mean, you, you name it, the lids, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, so that was my job in 2021. And then I, um, I left in July of 2021. And that's just incredible because uh, little did you know it at the time, there's a lot of skills being built up that are going to be so helpful today. Could you yeah. sort of give us a story? Um, you know, February 23rd, 24th happens, Russia invades, you know, Ukraine, where are you and, and what are your thoughts over the coming weeks and, and how do you first arrive in Ukraine? Yeah, so um, February twenty fourth happened. I mean, I, I, I we've been watching the buildup. Hell, we were watching the buildup from when we were in Afghanistan, and we kept asking ourselves, like, why don't we just send all this equipment to Ukraine? But I'm not going to go down that path. That's you know, that's either here nor there. But um, February twenty fourth, and we're watching it on TV, and it just um, it it just kind of hit me. And then I know, you know, like, like with the rest of the world. And I know that, um, you know, I had an upcoming deployment to Syria with my job and, you know, it's, it's good money and whatnot, but the fulfillment just wasn't there. Like there, there was something more I, I needed to do something. And maybe, you know, maybe that was the, um, the ignorant side of me or the adventurous side of me or whatever. But yeah, I just, I, I quit my job and, volunteered with a uh, missionary organization <laughs> and we uh we were um at first in in the, was it, in the sorry run was it saint javelins i'm just kidding what's that saint was it saint javelins saint javelins it's a bit of an internet meme now oh no you said missionary i said saint javelins i'm trying to be yeah. funny <laughs> no i actually i i tossed around um joining the legion and everything like that. But I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying I stormed the beaches of Normandy and, or I've been in some, you know, in some fights like my dad was in, in Vietnam, but I, you know, I, I have some experience in combat and I just, I felt like I could do something different. If I guess if that makes sense to anybody, I don't know. No, um, and, and I felt like, uh, you know, pulling a trigger is definitely going to change one one person's life at the business end of your of your freaking boomstick. But um, I wanted to do something that I've never done before, and so I did. I jumped into the humanitarian side of it, which was at first we were evacuating people as the Russians were, um, I guess, you moving in or just pushing people out. I don't know. And then it went from that to once they left, you know, Bucha and Yerpin and places like that, we started running uh, food and supplies and medical aid. And I had, you know, I'm, um, as a Green Beret, I've got a fairly decent knowledge of, of battlefield trauma just from our um, LTT courses that we go through and everything like that. Um, so I jumped on that. 
and uh, came home in the middle of May and I vowed that I was going to come back, but I was going to come back to do one thing because my first trip over here, everywhere I went, I kept seeing these warning landmine signs. And even in Ukrainian, <laughs> the skull and crossbones and bright red sign, it tells you what it is. And people kept saying like, Hey, we have a problem with mines here. Mines over there. We can't go here because of mines, 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 mines. Everywhere's mines. And it just kept ripping at me because I can find mines. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at it. Whether I find it with a detector, or I step on them. I'm, I'm fairly good at finding mines. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, basically I just, I told myself I'm going back. And I'm going to, I'm going to work through donations and I'm going to buy some mine detectors and I'm going to train some guys up like I did for hundreds of people in Afghanistan. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to find mines and I'm going to clear, I'm going to do my very best to help, um, these civilians, uh, these civilians start to take their lives back, start to rebuild, start to, um, you know, kind of piece together things again. And maybe that, you know, maybe kind of instill a little bit of hope because as everybody knows, hope, hope is contagious and hope is very dangerous for the Russians and for the, uh, for the enemy. Hope is super dangerous without hope. You, you might as well die. You're defeated. If you have hope, um, then it's very, very hard to defeat you. And so, and I'm not talking about fighting, but if I can give somebody a little bit of hope, here's this guy from, you know, where wherever United States or Canada, Great Britain, wherever it is. And he's coming out here and he's pulling up landmines so I can drive here. That's, you know, whether you speak the language or not, that's hope and hope spreads quickly. Yeah. And I think uh, you are providing, and I think we'd all agree you're, you're providing so much hope to these, you know, Ukrainian farmers and just average day Ukrainians that we don't necessarily get to hear about, you know, on the news, let alone even on Twitter, you know, with all of us looking at a telegram and things like that. Some of these stories are, are falling by the wayside before we go on to everyone's questions. And um, I know there's a lot, especially about the, your last week's activities. I want to mm-hmm. go back to in March and April where you, when you were in uh, Buca and Irpin, can you kind of describe to us the situation and what you saw? Cause I, I know it's only been a few months, but it must still be pretty present in your mind. And it's, just so important to talk about i think yeah so um i I wasn't there for any of the fighting at all um but you know actually my my entire time in ukraine has been fairly safe like when i was in kiev in the beginning you could see i don't know if you guys uh remember um saving private ryan and they're walking into the darkness and you can just see the flashes in the background and all the booms and everything as as they're moving out but um it, that, that's what Kiev was every night, but I was nowhere near it. I was always safe. Um, uh, yeah, it just, I was never in any danger, uh, besides, you know, the driving, <laughs> uh, the drivers out here, but, um, European and Bucha, when we got there, it was, it was about 18 hours after the Russians had pulled out. And, um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was heartbreaking. People were coming out of cellars. I remember we rolled up to one area where we had reports that there were people and, um, we had two vans and a trailer full of food and it was deserted. 
It's like, well, there's nobody here. Yeah, thankfully they all left. And then people just started coming out of these cellars and it just crushed me. <laughs> it was, and, and then once they realized this wasn't a game and this wasn't a, this wasn't pretend or anything like that. And then they were allowed to show their emotions. I was like, holy cow. I've, I've never, never on that level have seen, you know, that much pain, but we gave them that little bit of hope, um, that people were there to help that, that it was, they were safer and it was, you know, over for them in that area. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, and it, it's definitely, it's definitely something that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but that, that kind of put this drive in me, this humanitarian drive in me to, um, to want to, to, to want to help more than, you know, pulling a trigger. And it's because these people that were just crawling out of the rubble and yeah. And then once they figured out it wasn't, it wasn't a game and we weren't playing tricks with them. Um, and the stories, oh man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's really all I got to say about that. No, I think uh, you're being a little bit uh, too modest there, Ryan. When you say you're not in any danger, of course, then you say 18 hours behind the Russians, you know, whether it's their, uh, you know, booby trapping certain areas or obviously striking indiscriminately, you know, every day you're there, you're taking so much risk. But I think you really kind of highlighted the good that can be done, even if it isn't, you know, calling calling for fire with a drone or, or pulling a trigger. It's just so much good. Uh, and it is still so dangerous, but so necessary for this country so could you mm -hmm. kind of tell us uh how you got to clearing minds and sort of what you see as as the current problem ukrainians face and how they can eventually overcome it so how i got to clearing minds was it, it basically all spun off of my first trip everywhere we went um my my very last mission i went on was in uh, sevievo donetsk i'm probably saying that completely wrong but that's the best i got for you um but everything, everything is mined. And, um, there was some place in, you know, that was, I left there, um, like May 12th, I think. Um, and it was, you know, the Russians were at the doorstep there, but as you start to move back and you're talking to villagers, they just kept saying like, yeah, we can't go here because of mines, booby traps. I can't go here because of mines, booby traps. I can't do this. This is my tractor. I don't know if there's mines around it. And it's like, well, who, who's coming here to clear all this? We don't know. Okay. Um, the, the Ukrainian military is extremely bogged down right now in fighting a war. There'll be time for, for humanitarian demining, but they don't, that, you know, they, they have a war to win first. And so that really kind of clicked in my head is like, well, I'm decent at finding mines. Um, and I know how to get mine detectors. I know how to train people up on it. I trained, you know, hundreds of Afghans and they were extremely successful. And I was like, well, maybe, uh, maybe I can implement the, uh, we, we had this group in Afghanistan. I know a lot of you guys listening will know about the CMRG, the combined mine reduction group or the NMRG national mine reduction group. Well, I helped train a lot of those guys and set up some of those programs. 
And so my mind started just going crazy with, well, what if I kind of started help with like a Ukrainian mine reduction group, civilians that can kind of take back their own lands and, and do this. I said, it's anti-tank mines are not hard to find booby traps. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little bit more difficult, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot to be said about remote pole. It, it's, it's, it's pretty effective. Um, and so it just really got my, my, my brain or the hamsters up in my head, um, just running on that wheel. And all of a sudden I'm just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to get some mine detectors. I'm going to bring my, my equipment that I, that I have from Afghanistan. I'm going to go over to Ukraine and I'm going to basically stick my thumb out on the road and hitchhike to, <laughs> to a job. Well, now I, I have a soccer mom minivan, so it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm not literally hitchhiking, but I'm just, I'm going to try and find a job. And that's where, um, that's where I ran into, you know, um, a British Ukrainian guy that's out here and, um, and then through him, I met up with James uh, um, Vasquez, and it just kind of went from there. And next thing you know, it's like, hey, these fee- these fields need to be cleared. It's like, well, right on. I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of why I'm here. And we just started there. We went a couple places and removed some booby traps and stuff like that. And then I just started on the farm fields. And um, before I came to Nipro to uh, – you know, like I said, beer and hot shower, um, farmers were able to get out to a tractor that had hit a landmine and, um, recover it. So that field's good. Now I'm going to spend another uh, four or five days working on another field. And then, um, then yeah, I'll, uh, head back to the States and kind of reorganize. And next time I come back out here, hopefully, um, later in, um, um, October, early November, I have a couple more guys with me, more equipment, and we start to build this theory, this Ukrainian mine reduction theory and um, nonprofit and go from there. Hey, Ryan, can I jump in, CJ, for mm-hmm. a second? I, I you think, Yehuda, you're going to ask the same thing I'm going to ask, so go for it, Yehuda. Uh, no, I was just wondering about this crash course. Is there a crash? When you say training up uh, Ukrainians, what does that look like? So, uh, infantry guy background here. Uh, I'm deadly afraid of land. <laughs> I have no, mm-hmm. you know, I think the only training I ever got was with my bayonet, and I'm like, after this, I'm losing a leg. Forget it. Like, this is way mm-hmm. too much. <laughs> um, but uh, what can you feasibly, like, I mean, are we talking about like a week long course? Are we talking about, um, and, and, and another thing is, um, I'm really curious, uh, the density of the mines that are laid by, I assume they're UMZs, UMZs, uh, the Russians throwing out uh, mines. Uh, I, I grew up on a farm. What are we, what are we talking about? What's, how many mines in like a, an acre? Uh, and, uh, is there any rhyme or reason? Is there, uh, any methodology, me- methodology in finding them? Cause I don't know your trade, right? So I'm totally, I, this is just a selfish question. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So the, uh, the, the fields that I just worked, um, I, I mean, I would say we just got done clearing, uh, I mean, a good hundred acres. Um, but you don't have to clear every inch of it because there is, there is a methodology behind it. So out in the farm fields, the majority of the time they're machine laid because you don't have the manpower or really the give a shit to go out there and hand dig each hole separately. And so they have these machines that will actually put in these uh, TM62 anti-tank mines and they're all, they're all defensive postures. And so 
Um, and so, yeah, and there is a methodology behind it. Whereas in, if you find one mine, you, if they're, because they're machine laid, you can either trace the line diagonally or horizontally. Once you figure out which line they're on, then they're actually extremely easy to find. And anti-tank mines set off such a racket with your, uh, Chea, uh, version one mine detector. And so it, it, it goes back to my theory and what I firmly believe all the way back to Afghanistan. If, if nobody's shooting at you, mines are actually really easy to find. Um, because you can take your time, you can concentrate. You, you know, like if you've seen any of my videos, I always, I always got to dip in because I just need to calm down and, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, cause I, I am every time I turn that mind detector on, I'm scared, I'm uh, nervous and I'm concentrated. So I'm throwing a dip calms the nerves a little bit and then I just press forward. But yeah, um, a, most of these farm fields, they are 100%. Oh, correction. Nothing's 100% when it comes to the enemy. They are most of the time um, machine laid. And so if you find that vein, then it's actually really easy. And also, I also use train um, train analysis when I look for my booby traps and stuff like that. So your average Russian isn't going to jump out of his car, run two acres into the middle of a farm field, most likely to booby trap a mine. No, they're going to booby trap the mines that are alongside the road because those are the mines that are going to get the attention from soldiers that need to clear those mines so they can get heavy equipment or whatever it is up and down that road. So the mines that are closer to the roads, now I'm not saying I don't pay attention to all of them, but I'm very sketch, if that makes any sense with the mines that are more accessible that Russians know, Hey, somebody's probably going to tamper with these mines because they are in the direct Avenue of approach. Same thing as Afghanistan, same. Well, I can't speak on anything other than Afghanistan, but I'm fairly certain it's the same. You're not going to put in that effort, um, to run all the way, you know, two acres out in the farm field to booby trap a landmine when you can just booby trap the ones by the road because the ones by the road are going to get the attention of the Ukrainian engineers that have to clear them. I, I don't know if that makes sense. No, 100%. And yeah, over to you, CJ. Yeah, no, I was going to ask the same thing, Yehuda. You know, how are these things being laid? Because, you know, in Sverdonetsk, of course, you know, it's incredible that you were there before it was, uh, you know, captured and eventually will be uh-huh. recaptured. But, you know, kind of understanding that these areas are, you know, way behind the lines. There's not much, you know, ground fighting going on, but there's there's still a threat. Um, and with that, I'd, I'd like to go to Gurney, who, who served in Iraq and has some mining experience as well. Gurney, what, what, what question do you have for Ryan? Thanks, CJ. Um, Ryan, thanks for being here with us. Um, two questions. The first first question, what first one's uh, mostly irrelevant. Have you found a good beer yet? Mm. Yeah. And, um, so most of the Ukrainian beer is great, and it's clean, so you're, you're not hungover in the morning. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. My, my, my uh, more important question here is, Ryan, you're talking about um, what you can do in future efforts. So it clearly sounds like you're, you're regrouping, you're, you're doubling down on your efforts. Um, what does that look like? What help can you use? Uh, what, what support do you need? What equipment do you need? What volunteers do you need? What does that look like going forward just to continue the excellent work you're doing? 
So um, I, I really appreciate that question. Um, so right now I, I'm very new at this, at this whole thing. It's, you know, it's like, I'm, I, I got this idea and I know it can work because I did it in Afghanistan, but now I'm a civilian and I'm kind of having to build this up myself. But what my idea is, what kind of um, my vision, if you would say that, and I'm, you know, I'm not some, some great, you know, um, monumental persons like I have a vision. No, no, no. But what my vision is, is, um, I do, I, I, I want to have a crew, um, probably I, I, with, with three guys, we've cleared 304 landmines out of this field. So if I had six guys, um, I had three Chea, um, at least, you know, I'd like to get version twos in the carbon rod, um, or even version threes, they, they pick up the command wire. But if I had six guys and the, you know, the, all the equipment to pull, do remote pulls, um, the, the chairs that we need and vehicles that we needed from there, then I do, I, I, I want to focus on the farmlands and the farm fields and stuff like that, because those are the areas that are getting missed. And, um, right now I'm looking at going back out because September is when they harvest their sunflowers. And there's a lot of farmers that are, that are saying like, Hey, can you bring more people? Um, I got to get to my field. It's, it's September and I, I can't, I don't know anybody and everybody hits me up, but it's like, man, I need you. I need you two weeks ago. Can you be here? You know, <laughs> back to the future kind of stuff. But yes, I, I, um, Sorry, I, I, I ramble kind of, um, quite a bit, but um, it's the NGO. I, I, I want to set up an NGO, Tip the Spear, Mine Removal Group, um, nonprofit, and I do. I I would like to align. It's you know I'm 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 a Christian, and so it's going to be faith based, and I would like to align with missionary groups or whatnot that can reach out to these rural areas that maybe doesn't have the focus of you know. And I'm not saying the government doesn't care about everybody. I'm just saying that there's priorities. And I want to reach out to these areas that maybe they're kind of a further back priority. And that's where I want to go. That's what I, that, that's what I want to focus on. And whether we're living in tents and, uh, and, and doing all the Robin Sage stuff. Great. That's, that's amazing. I would, I would love to do that, but um, that's, that's really what I want to do. I just want to get, you know, some guys that kind of believe in the same thing that I do, um, believe in God, drink beer and find landmines. And then we go out and we just help people. That's uh CJ, just quick, uh, Ryan. Thanks so much. Look, uh, Ryan, let's, uh, let's talk beans and bullets for a second. How, mm-hmm. how much do the, how much does this equipment cost? How much, what are you looking for? If, if, if you, you know, um, if you're looking for, you know, equipment to kit out, you know, a section of people, which is what you kind of alluded to, what, what is that going to mm-hmm. run you? So, uh, Chea mine detector right now at the, at the government discount price is $2,700, um, per unit. So, um, if I have five units, that would, that would put, um, three, um, operational, two for reserves. Um, actually, no, I would need more than that because just like here, I brought over uh, two chairs and the unit that I just left, they needed one. So I gave them over one. So I'd probably come over with, uh, I would say 10 chairs. Um, 
at least version ones, and then the EOD pull kits. So we're looking at another $1,200 there. So I would say probably, and then um, an actual vehicle vehicle, um, I would say $50,000 would probably, as long as everybody was, you know, because each guy on the team would have to, you know, work their own donations. Um, it would kind of, kind of be like some of the missionary groups that I've worked with where it's like, yeah, you're part of the group, but you got to work your own donations through family and friends. And if they can't meet, make, if they can't, uh, what am I trying to say? If they can't make ends meet and then everybody pulls together and we just, you know, because guys still have bills to pay at home, you know, stuff like that. So, um, but I would say just equipment wise to get, you know, tip spear mine reduction group moving, I would say probably probably fifty thousand would do would get everything going. Hey Ryan, so <clears throat> let's just say Emory Report, we're always we're always supporting uh people as uh you know, great organizations. We have an organization we uh, support MariaA.org. Um it's actually uh the chair is actually an engineering an officer of engineers. She's really awesome. Um, pr- proud to call her a, a, a leader in, in my army. Um, so why don't we try something today, right? It's, uh, uh, what is it, 1240 Eastern Standard Time uh, on the 19th of August. Um, perhaps if, uh, if people are so inclined and they want to help out, uh, whatever they can donate, maybe if they were to uh, donate to uh, Marie Aid and then put in the note for Ryan EOD equipment, because I know that Marie Aid has purchased EOD equipment, um, especially. Um, and let's just see if we can help out because, you know, you're, you're demining in your own time. Uh, farmers fields in Ukraine. You're not under fire, as you said. You can do a pretty, you know, a lot of fidelity to what you're doing. Anything that uh, you'd be interested in, in promoting there? Like, would that, would that help you? And I can get you in touch with, um, uh, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, Maria Aid. Um, although they usually prefer to, you know, push, uh, uh, product to Ukrainian engineering units. Um, but I mean, if you want to do it or if you want to promote yourself, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I think it's a great idea because you have a big audience here that are listening to you and you're super humble and modest, by the way. I don't buy it. You're a great guy. And, uh, I think what you're doing is amazing and it is the Lord's work. So I really do appreciate it. Okay, so do you have? Uh, let me wait. One, I'm going to find out about how to how to pro- possibly do it today. But do you have an organization currently? How do you how do you buy this equipment? You just get donations and then run that way, or? Yeah, so so far, um, I, I've just been using uh, Venmo and PayPal, and that's how I've been, you know, getting donations. Um, again, I'm trying to – I will be setting up my um, 501c3 when I get home. That's one of my main reasons why I'm actually leaving is is because um, people want to donate more, but um, that tax write-off is a huge incentive. Um, so I will be setting up that when I get home. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's, that's basically what, you know, what I'm trying to do right there is right now it's just Venmo and PayPal, but, uh, cause I, I, I didn't even realize anybody would donate. I came over here and I was like, all right, I get this for retirement and this for disability, uh, for stepping on an IED. So yeah, let's make this work. And then people just started saying, Hey, how can we donate? And then next thing you know, it's like, Hey, why don't you put up a link so people can donate to you? And, and it's been, it's been really awesome since then. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, 
when I get home, just setting up a uh, tip of sphere, mine removal group and, and, and going from there is what, what, what you know, I want to do because whether it's in Ukraine or, um, or Southeast Asia, Africa, wherever, I mean, this, this is a huge problem around the world. And I would like to be, a, you know, international faith-based organization that, that removes um, explosive hazards so people can kind of take their lives back. All right, so 100%. So listen, why don't you, just because we're here and I haven't really spoken to Marie about it, if you want to pl- plug your, your situation there, I think that's great. Um, we uh, we want to support people doing great work. Uh, and then let's circle back, maybe CJ and you can chat offline and maybe talk to Melanie. I know they do a lot of engineering um, EOD stuff, but I'm not really qualified to get into that, right, because I'm not at Marie Aid. But uh, let's do that. And in the meantime, if you could all just uh, give uh, Ryan a follow if you're not already following him. And if you're so inclined and uh, you're good to go and you're in the position to help and you want to, you know, hey, throw the beer money for the weekend over to Ryan, he's doing great work. And I think that's super important. So um, I hope to have a further conversation offline there, Ryan, you, CJ, and and Mel, uh, and talk about, you know, possibilities because, um, you know, engineering is close to the hearts of many of the the volunteers at Maria Aid. I know that, just because, you know, the second combat engineer regiment uh, CO was the task force commander in Ukraine. And I think that's a really good segue. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, are you asking me what I think? I think it's awesome. Okay, great. Uh, so please do. And, and, and Ryan's written a book and, uh, and he's got his information on his Twitter following there. Uh, please, that, that'd be great. I got a million questions. I don't want to be selfish. So I'm going to kick it back to CJ so he can, uh, sick handle this. Ryan, thank you so very much. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, before we uh, go on to questions, Ryan, just want to do a time check. Are, are you good for now? I know we're hoping to have James join us in about 15 minutes, but we'd love for you to stay as long as you can. We'll be going 24-7 until the war's over. Yeah, no, no, no. I got some time. Also, um, people that are listening, uh, huge shout out to James. Um, he, he definitely, uh, when him and I, when him and I met, I, I had a very little, you know, I was just basically coming over here to um, – to kind of knuckle drag it out on my own. And then I didn't realize, you know, the, you know, how many, how much backing there actually was. And he kind of opened up that world to me on Twitter and whatnot. So yeah, huge shout out to him. It's, it's, it's awesome. And he's doing, he's doing great things. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate everything he's done for me. So awesome well we uh, love to hear it here and yeah if you ever drop off or, or want to come back on yeah please do because we, we really love having you and we're getting so many new people listening which is really uh, what we want to do to keep the attention focused on this war uh, because you know even if it's not in the mainstream media it, it's still so so important and with that we'll go to George George take it away hello thank you for everything you're doing uh, Ryan I wanted to ask you how long is it two quick questions how long does it take you to train someone so that you know they're they're uh, a help and not a hindrance <laughs> right that was one question and then the other question is uh i know there's a language barrier in some of these more rural areas in ukraine um do you have anybody with you that uh can help you interpret like obviously when you're when you're talking to these farmers and can you communicate with them? Do you have someone that can help you communicate? So, uh, first, yeah. First question is, um, I, I, I've literally like, um, two days ago, 
um, the unit I was with, they, they only had two guys that, that they could give to help me out. They were brand new, um, never done anything before. So we did a really quick one hour class and, uh, <laughs> we got to work, um, Afghanistan with, uh, with IEDs a lot, a lot trickier, um, and the booby traps, the Taliban, the Taliban, the Russians will never be as good as the Taliban. Um, yeah, I've, I've trained guys up in 12 hours and been and been on a mission the next day, and we did fine. So it, it, it definitely – I'm not saying that that's the preferred way, but there is something to be said about um, – just just going out there and doing it and you're you're gonna figure it out i mean click not boom um if it's a boom well you probably it's probably not gonna be your problem anyways but but no um all all joking aside it's yeah it's not really hard to train people up it's just ground sign awareness how to use the metal detector um how to actually properly probe and then how to um disarm these and remove the fuses and stuff like that you start getting into booby traps or anti-personnel mines which give off a lot lighter signal then yes it's it's going to be a lot more difficult but in the end i mean some of these guys a little bit of training is better than none at all um the second question, crap. Sorry, I just talked it right out of my memory. What was that? Oh, I was I was going to say, do, do you have someone that can help you interpret? Oh, like, is yeah. there a language barrier, obviously, for you. Yeah. So, um, crazy enough, uh, with explosives, pointy talky works very well. Um, people understand click, not boom. People understand explosives very well because it's 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 safety. Um, most of the time, um, like if, if there is the, the absolute language barrier, there is not a single, um, word in English or Ukrainian understood pointy talky has gotten me through. Um, then there's other times when I have, you know, somebody that, um, has an idea about English. And so that's a little bit easier. And then there's other times, um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's uh, one of James's friends, uh, Ah, crap. I, I can't remember his name, but extreme, like the, the, the guy speaks, you know, um, very well, very good English, Ukrainian. So that, that was a blessing to have him out there and, and helping me train these guys. So, but pointy talky, and then you actually put a real landmine in front of people. Oh yeah. You'll, you'll understand it. It speaks its own language. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you for all you do. And, uh, Oh, one really quick question. Would you, would anybody that's ex, uh, engineers that are Ukrainian would obviously, would they be a big help for you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. Ukrainian engineers are good. They're extremely good. And Ukrainian EOD is even better. Um, the problem is, is they, they don't have enough of them. And so Ukrainian EOD has, um, they're being tasked with, um, and remember how I said there's areas of priority. Um, they're being tasked with the areas of priority. And right now it's around Bucha, European and the suburbs of, um, Kiev, which is understandable. And they're also tasked with UXOs, but not, not, um, blowing in place, which is what I do with UXOs, but they actually have to disarm them because they don't want all the infrastructure damage. Uh, me, I don't, I don't disarm UXOs. I, I put a half block of C4. I run 500 feet of, uh, shock tube and boom, move on. So I'm not qualified in that avenue, but yeah, Ukrainian EOD and engineers, they're, they're good. Thank you. Uh, Gurney, go ahead. 
Yeah, I had a different question, but Ryan, you, you said something fascinating right there. Um, did I hear you correctly? You're you're blowing these in place. Is that correct? And, and if so, um, are you are, who, who's getting you the material to uh, to do that? Is that in some fashion with the Ukrainian uh, military? No, I am not blowing them in place at all. What I'm saying is um, with UXOs in Afghanistan, unexploded ordnance, I would blow them in place. I don't. I don't render safe anything. See, that's what a, um, a lot of people are getting me confused with actually the smart people. EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, those dudes are smart. Um, they've been trained for, you know, how to render safe. 18 Charlies, special forces um, engineers, we're knuckle draggers. What we do is we can, we can find, fix, and destroy. So IEDs in Afghanistan, even though I've rendered safe my fair share of them, um, our job is, is to, is to find them and destroy them or mark and bypass. It just depends on the mission. So with the T, uh, TM62, um, anti-tank mines out here, um, they're they're very easy to disarm and pull the fuses out of. So, um, yeah, I'm just we're we're just finding them and disarming them, stacking them alongside the road. Ukrainian units will come by, pick them up, and where they go from there, I I have no idea. But no, there is a huge shortage of demolitions out here, um, especially C4, um, probably shock two, blasting caps, all that other stuff. So there, there's a big shortage of it out here. So no, we render safe what we can or. Or if I don't feel that that munition or that device is safe to handle, then we just mark GPS locate and report. I'm going to drop off here if you if, if you don't mind, CJ. Yeah, no, please. And we, we really hope to have you back. And thanks for making the time for us tonight. It means so much. You'll okay. definitely have me back on. All right, guys. Thank you very much. <laughs>